You're listening to the Entrepreneur's Agony Aunt podcast. Keeping it real, telling the story like it is, because there are no mistakes that somebody else hasn't already made. This is eight-year-old me. I'm so old, they used to send me up the chimneys in Victorian time, which is completely true. Um, But the thing that I had at eight that I didn't have at 22 was a plan. And it was actually a really good plan. It was a smart plan in that it was literally a smart plan. It was specific and measurable and all of the other bits of what smart stands for that I can never, ever remember. But it was a good plan. And uh, my plan was to go to London. I I wasn't entirely sure what I would do when I got to London, but I went with my grandparents to visit them. And um, I achieved my goal. I ended up at King's College London. I was the first person from my family and the first person from my street to ever go to university. And um, I I got there because my eight-year-old self was just a bit of a machine, actually. And I learned a few things that I'd forgotten by 22. And I've remembered now I'm a lot older than that that were really important. I spent that 10 years between 8 and 18 learning how to learn. I was a machine at learning. And my goal was not to learn deep, not to learn smart, not to learn everything. My goal was to learn fast. And I still learn fast. And I can guarantee I can go into a meeting about God knows what. And I'm generally about half an hour ahead of everybody else. And frankly, that's all you need to be. Um, I learned a lot of different techniques. I mean, as when I was doing my GCSEs, I, I did mind maps, then I put them in colour, then I wrote them up, then I recorded them, and then I listened to them in my sleep because I wasn't completely sure what my learning style was. So I thought if I cover <laughs> off all the bases, I will have learned it. But I also learned that more isn't always better, um, which is why I didn't put a lot of effort into learning deep. I learn enough to get me by the uh, task in hand. And I've always done that ever since. Now, that's why I'm a CEO, not like a technical lead or a a, a finance director, because frankly, I know a little bit about everything and a lot about how to bullshit and pull it off. Um, And that's all you need to be a CEO. I say it's a wonderful job and I highly recommend everybody, you know, put that on there. Things to think about as a job is is great. Um, The other thing I learned, as well as learning fast, was, oh my goodness, seriously, this is possibly my most important piece of advice. Do less and tell more. I now have a formula. I spend no more than 70% of my time doing and at least 30% of my time telling everybody how amazingly I did it. Um, At different stages career, you may need to up the 30%. And I seriously mean that. Unfortunately, working hard is no guarantee of success. And only working hard is definitely no guarantee of success because it's who noticed that matters. It's how connected in and it's how that effort that you make is perceived, received and acknowledged. There's a whole bunch of people out there who will nick your credit if given half a chance. That's just the reality of it. Um, If you have a self-promotion strategy, which is not being an obnoxious git, but you actually think, have I spent enough time communicating and selling what I've achieved, what I've done and my hard work back to my colleagues, more specifically back to my boss, 
Um, and actually, wherever the heck it is my plan is taking me, do those people have me on their radar? Because that is how you will get noticed. That is how you will get promoted. And you don't have time to do everything. And frankly, in most things, I tend to think 80% is just fine. You know, Again, why I'm not deeply technical, because <laughs> um, I'd be like, oh, well, the bridge is close enough. Sword meets in the middle. <laughs> fine. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm in the right job. But the problem with achieving your life goal at 18 <laughs> is what next? And I didn't know how to do university. I knew how to do school. I knew how to get to London, <laughs> had many plans. I mean, like, university was plan A, but, like, going on the stage and being in a West End musical was plan B, and there's a lot of other plans that were going to get me to London. But when I got there, when I got to university, I didn't know how to do university. I didn't, I didn't build a career. I didn't know what, the, I didn't know there was a thing called the milk ground or what it was. I mean, years later, somebody said to me, do you want to come and speak at the milk ground? I'm like, what's the milk ground? And apparently, like, this thing would have gotten me a really good, well-paid job had I known it existed and I'd gone to it, but I didn't. And so I graduated. And that only when I graduated did I think about careers. And, like, probably a lot of you have graduated in a recession, a long time ago recession. Um, and there were any jobs. And there were certainly not any jobs in London. And um, I was really lost, actually. Um, I, I didn't have a plan. And... I'd always known that if I had a plan, like I could make the plan work, really matter what the plan was. So for me, like almost not having a plan was just really destabilizing. And I, anyway, I ended up applying, I did English for my degree. So what do you do to do English? Well, you go and work in the theater, obviously. Um, and I applied like every, like, this is when jobs were advertised in newspapers. Every Monday I got the Guardian and every, and I applied for like every possible job. And eventually I got one in Bolton at the Oxygen Theatre, and off I went. And that's really interesting. I learned my next set of very, very useful skills there. Like, the most important bit being kind of, so what? <laughs> Who cares? And why? Um, to work smarter and be efficient. And I mean, I'm like super lazy. I just want to do the least amount of work possible to get me as far as possible and get the credit for it. So to do that, I spend an awful lot of time working out who cares and why. You can't do everything for everybody. And if you try to please everybody, you, you please nobody and you destroy yourself in the process. So trying to figure out what's going to have impact and how they're going to measure that impact and what the goals of people are is, I think, just a really useful <laughs> efficiency shortcut in life and in the oxygen theater it turned out that they did they had a computerized box office system and nobody knew anything about computers i'd had an acorn electron since i was like eight years old like i i i'd used the computer in at um, at king's and within about three weeks i was kind of head of it but you know that was just figuring out where there was a problem where i might be able to use what high skills that i had to make some impact and Maybe there would have been a time in my life later and before where I would have talked myself out of that. But I just didn't care. It's just like, well, I can't be as bad as anybody else. You're taking the backup tapes home in your handbag. I mean, let me let me give it a go. Um, and I did. And I actually, that's where I fell in love with data and everything I've done in the rest of my career, including, you know, time spent at Google um, and the startups that I've done since then. I learned in my two years at the Oxygen Theatre 
where I became totally obsessed with postcode data and I covered the entire theatre with charts. You know, this is me promoting myself. Um, artistic director, like this is the street in Bolton where most of our customers come from. And, you know, like maybe we should have posters. I was totally obnoxious and annoying in retrospect, but I fell in love with it and it set my path and I... And data and technology found me anyway, despite the fact that, I, you know, doing English at university was because I wasn't confident in my maths, wasn't confident in technology, despite the fact I, you know, could code just fine. So, yeah, the next thing, so I did my two years in the Oct- in Octagon, and I still had this whole thing, like, I want, you know, London is where I was supposed to be. This was the plan, the goal. So I took a theatre job back in London, because obviously real theatre is in London. Um, and I, I know it sounds so stupid, but I didn't know you were allowed to leave a job just because you didn't like it. I, nobody told me that. My dad had had two jobs in his entire life. And when he lost one of those, that was the big, like it was the most awful thing that had happened to our family because that was our economic chances gone. So there was nobody in my life swapping jobs and this was like, I know, I, the first week I got there and I said, oh, I've made such a terrible mistake. I hate this job. And I stuck it out for a year because I actually thought that if I didn't, it would look really bad on my CV, which was just the most incredibly bad advice. Whoever it is that said never give up does not know what they're talking about. Um, <laughs> really, like that is just the worst advice. If you've tried everything, if you cannot affect change, if it's them, not you, give up and save your precious energy and go on to the next thing. And you should never in any situation give so much of yourself trying that you've got nothing left because work rarely loves you back. Uh, I suppose I've done this all my life. I mean, I still can't spell entrepreneur, even though I definitely am one, and I have like entrepreneur agony on podcasts. I have to write it all the time, um, but I've always hustled and I've always created my opportunities um, for myself. And um, I have a few little rules around this. Uh, one is don't wait for permission. Uh, one is don't wait to be invited. I mean, seriously, just show up. Like, if you'd showed up tonight, really, would they have turned you away? Uh, Exactly. Um, Be in the right room. This is a difficult one because often the right room is really uncomfortable, isn't fun. The people in it aren't necessarily very nice. They're not the people that you want to hang out with, and it's not easy to network. And you're working in a field like I do now where you you can go into places and there really are just two or three women in the room. It'd be much easier to spend all your time where you feel comfortable and actually that isn't where you need to be you need to be in the room where the decisions are getting made where the tap on the shoulder is being made um and that isn't always fun that's where you need to be i personally was going to put this as a major source of advice i was going to say say yes to everything but then i came up with like lots of of health and safety caveats Um, so like apply your own health and safety caveats but generally speaking it's easier to learn to say no eventually than it is to like learn to say yes and if you say yes again with the caveats what's the worst that can happen you just have to find a way down the line to extract yourself from it and politely say no um but you'll have way more fun and many more opportunities if you say yes to everything i mean 
I ended up working at, at Google. Um, and honestly, I've no, really no idea how or why, because they supposedly have like these amazingly high recruitment standards. <laughs> I just like with half an hour ahead of everybody else, yeah, yeah, I know about that stuff. And it, it seemed to work. But uh, I think pretty much a lot of the stuff, all of the stuff maybe, that I've ever achieved is because I've banked, I've created opportunities regardless of knowing where they would lead. I've tried as best I can to spin the plates of those opportunities. I mean, invariably, when you've got 20 opportunities spinning at once and you've no idea when any of them going to pan out, some of those plates definitely fall over and smash. And sometimes you get, you're not as good as maintaining relationships or being good at follow-up as maybe you should be. But I feel like if you create opportunities despite knowing where they'll, not knowing where they'll lead, and you just say yes to random things, they'll pan out to a point. So I then uh, got to the point I, I did, I ran around the galaxy pretty much, um, and it was a lot of fun, and it did work. Despite my claims I don't work very hard, uh, I do work really, really, really hard. I just work really, really hard on things that matter. And I created a company... That company became top tech startup in Europe. It won lots of nice shiny things, lots of blingy trophies. I was innovator of the year. And then it all went horribly wrong. Um, there's a piece in the press right now about how that went horribly wrong in more detail than I completely feel comfortable with my mother knowing. Um, but nevertheless, um, it, it did go horribly wrong and, and I ended up being resigned, getting resigned from the company that I founded and that I was a CEO of, and I wasn't very happy about that. I was a very difficult period, but what I did learn is that you will fail. Like, if you are brave, if you try anything, like if you exist, you will fail. What I've tried to do is reframe failure as practice. Um, <laughs> Could be quite expensive practice. It goes back a half, one and a half million pounds worth of practice in the last business, and a few people who still got targets on my back. Um, um, but you know, I'll fail again. My ambition, and my ambition until two days ago was like, next time I fail, it's going to be in the FT. Then it was in the FT, and it was like, oh, okay, maybe that's not such a great ambition because I thought I'd sort of put that behind me and moved on to the next one. Um, but I think if you can keep, you know, the only person you have to convince is is yourself. If you cannot convince what anybody else does with your narrative. You just can't, however much you want to. The world isn't fair. Um, there are nasty people. Non-truths get spread around you. You can't do anything about that. And if you spend all of your emotional energy trying to rectify that, you never get out of the place that you're in. And I think when you are in that place of intense failure, you know, the only person really that you can worry about and focus your self-care on is yourself. Um, it's almost like you've got permission for a limited time to regress and be a completely needy baby and get over it um, because you can't let that failure define you and you certainly can't let other people break your self-belief. And I know, um, I've been quite open about this, so what I do now have is quite a lot of CEOs in distress, <laughs> CEOs in meltdown, call me up 
in the same position that I was in. Um, and it's like, you know, I know it doesn't feel good now, but there's, there's almost like a checklist for this. And if you end up walking away, it's not the worst thing that can happen. This, this, this failure will be painful and temporary, but it's not permanent. So I walked around the corner in a big event. Um, I came around the corner just as my financial director was on the phone to my board of directors saying, so we'll put her on gardening leave then, effective immediately. I got on the train. <laughs> I got really drunk, actually. I've given up drinking since, but at the time, I got really drunk. <laughs> really, really drunk. Got on the train and went home to Norfolk. This is my friend Catherine, and we've been best friends since high school. And um, yeah, that evening I went home, I moved in with Catherine and her kids for about two weeks. Um, I went home, I went home to my best friend and um, she was still there despite the fact I'd probably neglected her really badly for about a decade whilst I was running around the world, having a great time, then having like my nervous breakdown and then like being super stressed. I was extraordinarily lucky that despite all that, my best friend was still there and I could go home. And yeah, I that for me was kind of probably the most um, interesting lesson for my 22-year-old self is that, you know what, you're actually kind of fine as you are. <laughs> don't stop learning, um, don't stop working on yourself, but don't ever be less of yourself for anybody. And never forget where you came from, because if you can achieve what you did at eight, you know, getting out of Norfolk and doing all this, well, the rest... The rest is just promotion and positioning. The rest will be easy. And that is true, I think. That's